It's good to be back with you. We're going to be in chapter 6 of this book, and the subject matter that we're dealing with tonight is forgiving yourself. Now, I, I may be talking to the choir here. There may be nobody in here that's ever had an issue with forgiving themselves, but I've been through a journey twice in my life where I really struggled to forgive myself, and one time was early last year, and I'll share some of that with you in just a little bit. But I want to pray for us. I want us to jump into a question at the tables, and then we'll get going. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that, Lord, even when we were, Lord, dead in our sins, Lord, you loved us enough to go to the cross and die for us. Thank you for the gift that you give each and every one of us of salvation. Lord, I pray if there's any man in here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would give their lives to you. And Lord, I just pray for each one of the men in here, including myself, if there's something in our past that we've done, maybe to someone else or something, Lord, that we've struggled with forgiving ourselves, I pray you'll give us that freedom tonight to forgive ourselves and to walk forward in victory because I know that the devil wants to keep us down. So God, bless these men as we talk tonight. Thank you that your word is alive and well. And Lord, it has every answer to every question we would ever have. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, here's a question I want you to ask. Why is forgiving yourself so difficult? Why is forgiving yourself so difficult? Take some time around your tables. We'll come back together in a few minutes. All right, guys. I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, we surprise ourselves by things we say or do. And we wish we could take it back as soon as we say or do it, but we know we can't. And so then sometimes we just struggle forgiving ourselves. And I think oftentimes what happens is our focus is really on the wrong thing. Uh, I'll share in just a little bit, a little bit about my story from early last year when I went through a couple things and really had a hard time forgiving myself. And I'll be honest with you, my biggest reason in having a hard time forgiving myself was pride. And here's what it, what it was. The pride was not in, I don't want to forgive myself. The pride was you should have been good enough that that didn't happen to begin with. Boy, I have really elevated myself in my own mind to something I'm not. Because the Bible tells me there's none good, no, not one. There's nothing good inside of me except for the Holy Spirit, except for the work that he's done And so I was wallowing in my own self-pity, but I was blaming myself with all this guilt and shame of something that had been said, but my pride wouldn't allow me to forgive myself. And so I think there's a ton of verses we could go to, and we're going to look at a few different scriptures tonight, but we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I want to challenge you to do something. I, I don't know when you would do this. This may be something you do in your quiet time sometime. This may be something that you do six months from now, but I just want to give you some homework to do. I was doing premarital counseling with a couple yesterday, and I gave them this homework. It is to take the chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now listen, it's only 13 verses, okay? So it's not a long chapter, but I would encourage you to really dig in deep in that chapter. We call it the love chapter. It's all about love. I would encourage you to kind of write your own commentary on it. Really take, a, uh, take some time, and I did this a couple years ago where I just spent some time with each verse for a couple days. I, I read it a few times, I prayed through it, I meditated on it, and then I just wrote some things out that God was calling me to do through that verse. I'm telling you, this, this chapter will change the way you view love if you'll really dig into it. But I want you to look at the first couple verses here. It says in verse 1, 
If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. I want to point out two phrases in those first six verses that I think are very applicable to this idea of forgiveness, both to forgive someone else but also to forgive ourselves. And they're this. Look at the first one. It's in verse 5. It is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Does not keep a record of wrongs. It's very easy to get into an argument with your spouse and to bring up everything in your mind that they've ever did that you didn't like. The problem is, once you forgive, you're not supposed to bring that back up. Jesus doesn't. As a matter of fact, we'll look at some verses that says he forgives us as far as the east is from the west. It says that he takes our sin and throws it to the bottom of the sea. And so, what we're not supposed to do with anybody else is keep a record of wrongs, but the reality is, in our own personal lives, for us, we don't need to keep a record of wrongs that we've done. Brother Steve has a saying that I love. He says, fess them as you does them, don't bunch them. What he's saying is confess your sin when you sin. Don't bunch them all up and then get to the end of the day and say, Lord, forgive me for everything I've done today. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, just confess it right there. It'd be like if you were with your wife and you had had an argument and argument and argument and you waited six months and then came back and tried to fix everything. It'd be a bigger deal than if you just dealt with them one by one. You would have also probably, as the man, not repeated the same thing over and over. Because when you deal with something, it gets in your mind and it helps you in the future. He says, don't keep a record. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Look at verse 6. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in the truth. Now, I want you to hold on to this. When we say that love rejoices in the truth, here is the truth. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's the Lord. You want to know a truth? When you sin against a holy, righteous God, and you confess that sin to him, he forgives you as far as the east is from the west. Here's another one, Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. This is Micah praying on behalf of Israel. They have turned their backs. They are an idolatrous and adulterous nation. And Micah is praying. He is seeking the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, we need you to show up. We need you to do something. And he's saying, will you not cast our sins to the depths of the sea? Aren't you thankful that when we bring that confession before the Lord, he forgives it. We look at David, 
who committed adultery, who had Bathsheba's husband killed. He comes before a holy God in Psalm, 150, in Psalm 51. He pours out his heart. And later on in David's life, it says, and David was a man after God's own heart. God forgives us. And then I love this, 1 John 1, 9. You need to memorize this verse. You need to highlight this verse. You need to meditate on this verse. You need to focus on this verse. This needs to be a verse that you hold on to because here's a truth in here that we have got to hold on to. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in regards to forgiving ourselves, if God will forgive you, who are you to not forgive yourself? If God would offer you his forgiveness, and by the way, we don't deserve it. We deserve justice. We deserve that he would punish us for it. We deserve the consequences of our sin. And by the way, we're told what those consequences are in the book of Romans. That our sin has separated us from a holy God and there is a penalty, there is a price to be paid for that and it is a separation from God forever and ever. But aren't you thankful that God sent his son to earth to die for us? That if we would confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised his son from the dead, we would be saved, we will be saved. But then past that, once we get saved, we still mess up. We still sin. We bring that before a holy God. We confess it, and he promises he will forgive it. So why is this such an issue for us? Why is it such an issue that God will forgive us, our spouse will forgive us, our friends have forgiven us, but we're still holding on to things, unwilling to forgive ourselves? Well, he talks about a few things in his book. Signs that you haven't forgiven yourself is what he says. There's, these, these are some signs that you haven't forgiven yourself. So let's see if any of these are present in our lives. Number one is we feel guilty. We constantly feel guilty. Now we're going to talk about how, what, the, the, the place that the devil plays in this. Because how many of you know the devil's like a roaring lion? I mean, he's coming after us with everything he wants. He wants us to walk around as men defeated. And by the way. I think oftentimes we as men do walk around defeated. We walk around discouraged. Now, we don't let anybody know it. We put on our good clothes, we smile, and when somebody says, how you doing, we say, great, everything's good, but inside, we're struggling. So a sign that we haven't forgiven ourselves is we feel guilty. A second thing he talks about is we blame ourselves. We blame ourselves for whatever it was, something that was said, something that was done, Something that maybe our family's reaping the percussions from. Maybe it was a financial decision. Maybe it was you know, something that, that you did that, that you shouldn't have. I don't know. But we blame ourselves, and that's a sign. If you continue to blame yourself, it's a sign that we haven't forgiven ourselves. He talks about us being unhappy. He said unhappiness is a sign of bitterness towards yourself. Now, that's not always, but that's a sign that you've not forgiven yourself. Unhappy. He says in here that there's a sense of shame. I want you to think just for a moment about Adam and Eve in the garden. What do you think they felt after they bit into that fruit? They went and made some clothes. And, and, and what's comical about this is that they tried to hide from God. And we read the story and it's laughable because it says that God came down. So we see the relationship was very personal. But yet you and I do the same thing all the time. We try to hide things, we try to keep things from the Lord, and we can't. But there's a sense of shame when we mess up, when we sin. 
And then the last thing is we find it hard to forgive others. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, there's a saying, hurt people hurt people. And oftentimes when you're unwilling to forgive yourself, you'll be unwilling to forgive other people. It's amazing how when we step into that mode of sin, we take some steps into it, we just keep going further and further into it. And I think that's that picture of why Brother Steve says you need to confess them right when you do them. When the Holy Spirit says you shouldn't have said that, just repent of it right there. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for that. I said something to one of my boys earlier this week, or, uh, and I was in the last week, they were messing around. I said, don't do that. And, and, and they kept messing around. I said, don't do that. And they kept messing around, and I raised my voice to them. And immediately the Holy Spirit said, don't do that. Do you know how many times I have to remind you over and over and over and over and over not to do something? I don't yell at you. And I, I had to apologize to them. I felt the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I don't always do that. But that's what we need to do. Because what happens is when we struggle to forgive ourselves, a lot of times we're unwilling and unable to forgive other people. So here's a question I want you to discuss at your table. Which one of these have you struggled with in your life and why did you struggle with that one? Okay, You don't have to go into the scenario of, of, of what sin you did or how you messed up or whatever, but which one of these did you struggle with in the forgiveness process towards yourself? I'll put them back up on the screen. Discuss it for a few minutes and we'll come back together. All right, guys. He, Dr. Kendall talks in his book about signs that you have not forgiven yourself so you can kind of, uh, it's like a litmus test, uh, it's like a pop quiz. If you see these things in your life, you may need to ask yourself, is there something that I've been unwilling to forgive myself about? Maybe it's a past relationship, maybe it's a decision you made, maybe it's something that you've said. But then he goes on to talk about why can't we forgive ourselves? And he gives some, some, some clear pieces here that I think we need to look at. Number one, he talks about anger. Anger oftentimes will keep us from forgiving ourselves. We're angry at ourselves. And you know, anger, it, it, sometimes it makes us just do irrational things. Sometimes it turns into bitterness. Sometimes it turns into rage. There's all kinds of things that can happen. Sometimes it's just the step before guilt. But we get angry with ourselves and, and we're unwilling to, I'm just unwilling to forgive myself. I've talked to people before that said, I can forgive what other people have done, and I can forgive myself for most things, but there's something that happened years ago that I cannot forgive myself for. And I just want to say this, if that's the case, then you've trapped yourself in a prison, and you will never experience the freedom there is in Christ. And it's one of the places I think men go to a lot because we are prideful, but it's also one of the scariest places to be. And I think the devil has his hooks in a lot of people. And sometimes it begins with anger. Another one is guilt. He talks about guilt in the book. Guilt can be a good thing, but we don't stay there, okay? We don't stay there. He talks about two different types of guilt. He talks about true guilt. That's when you do something and sin is involved. So let's take David and Bathsheba. Obviously, David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed there in the battle. And so he had blood on his hands. There was obviously sin in his life. And so there was that guilt of that. The second type he talks about is pseudo guilt. Now I'm going to tell you what he says in this book. He says there are two kinds of guilt most of us all will struggle with. True guilt, which is a result of sin against God. And then pseudo guilt, when there is no sin involved in the situation. He goes on to give an illustration 
to what he's talking about. Let me read it to you. He says, take for an example a person who is driving a car when a child runs out into the street at the last second and is struck down. The guilt can be overwhelming, but there was no sin involved. They weren't speeding. They had their seatbelt on. They were in the right lane. They were doing what they're supposed to do. A child runs out the last moment. By the way, I grew up with a, a young man in Bentonville, Arkansas, and his mother drove a truck. And she was driving very close to our house, and she wasn't speeding, and a little boy from our neighborhood ran out, and she hit him. She dealt with guilt for a long time. But the reality is she didn't do anything wrong. See, a lot of times that's where the devil wants to really get his hooks in there. He says, the guilt can be overwhelming, but there was no sin. It doesn't need to be confessed to God. The reality is she, she did nothing wrong in this situation, but she's living with this guilt that she took someone's life. Now, I'll be honest with you, I, I, that's, that's tough. That's tough. Thank goodness for the grace of God that he could get us through something like that. And thank goodness throughout my life I watched her work through that and walk in freedom. It took time. Another thing he talks about is fear. A lot of times we're fearful. No, we don't like to talk about fear as men. Uh, we're not afraid of anything. By the way, I'm scared to death of snakes, horrified, terrified of them. I mentioned this one time in, in uh, Kid View Worship when I spoke in there back in COVID. And the next Sunday I got done speaking and this guy walks up and he tossed me a rubber snake and I took off running, man. I, you know, I don't care if it's a rubber snake, okay, I don't like them. Uh, my mom says when I was a little boy I had a picture Bible and there in the story of Adam and Eve when the serpent was there, I put duct tape over that, okay. I don't even like them in a picture book, okay. I just don't like them at all. Uh, and so sometimes fear will keep us from forgiving ourselves. And then the last one, this is the one I told you I struggle with, is pride, self-righteousness, and self-pity. Pride, self-righteousness, and self-pity. We like to throw that pity party, and we like it to be long, and we like to stay there. And the devil desires to keep us right there. He desires to keep you in a place where you will never get to where that freedom is that the Lord wants to give you because you're stuck in a place feeling sorry for yourself because of something you've done or said. So I shared a little bit of this last semester, but I want to just kind of give you the story. I'm going to give it to you as quick as I can because I need to get to the end that, share, that kind of shows you where I was personally in having to try to forgive myself. Uh, years ago, I hurt my back, and, uh, and I just had a lot of problems with it. And so in 2019, November of 2019, I had back surgery. And so I had a disectomy on uh, L4, L5 in the lower part of my back. It was a successful surgery. Four months later, I was running. I was, I was jogging. I was running two or three miles a day. I know that's not a lot for some of you. That was a lot for me. On the weekends, I'd gotten up to about six or seven miles. I was feeling great. We went over to a friend's house. We were swimming with the kids. I went to jump in the deep end and do the big cannonball like everybody does. I lifted my knee up, and that thing popped in midair. And before I hit water, I knew I wouldn't be able to get out of the pool. And so I was able to use my arms and get out of the pool, and I laid there for a while, ended up going back to the doctor and ended up having to see a neurosurgeon and ended up having to have a, uh, a fusion done at the end of 2021. Okay, so I'm about 15 months, I'm right at 15 months out from that, from that uh, procedure that I had. During the time of those four months where I had hurt my back, uh, at, right after I hurt my back, the doctor put me on a medication. I didn't know much about it. The medication had a lot of side effects. They gave me no information about it, and I didn't, never thought a thing about it. And so I began taking these pills, and what happened was my back wasn't getting better, 
but the, 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 this pill, basically it just it blocks the signal that says your back's hurting. That's all it does. There's a lot of side effects that go with it, and I had no idea. And as I began to take this medication for a few months, I began to see the side effects. We had no idea where they were coming from. And I'll be honest with you, we thought they were spiritual warfare. I became irritable. I became grouchy. I became angry. Um, I lashed out at my children. I would lash out at my wife. Now, this is just a year ago. And I really struggled. I'll be honest with you. There was a time last January, February, and even into March where I just thought, Lord, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Now, I'm not talking about suicide. I'm just saying I don't know if I can go on in ministry, and I don't know if I can go on because of what I might say. I wasn't going to do anything. I didn't physically hurt anybody. I never raised a hand to my wife or anything like that, but it was just my attitude, my mentality, and the way I was using my words towards my family. And about uh, four months of that went on. And so my wife, my wife and I teach a life group here at Bellevue, and there's women having babies in that life group all the time, all the time. And so we have baby showers at our house all the time. I mean, Thursday night, you most likely there's a baby shower at our house, okay? And so one thir- my job is I put the kids to sleep, I sneak through the kitchen, I get as much of the, the food as I can. And that's right, because I mean, if they're bringing it to the house, I'm getting my chair, okay? And then I go in my bedroom, I lock the door, and I watch a movie, or I study, or I do something. And so my wife comes in there, this is last, uh, the end of last March, so I'm almost a year out of this. She comes in there, she says, hey, I need you to come in the living room. I'm not going to the baby shower. And she said, no, I think you need to come in here. So I go in there, and, and this, this girl that was at, our, at the uh, shower, my wife said, I think you need to talk to her. And so I said, okay, what's going on? And she said, I want to share a story with you. And she begins to relay to me the way I've been acting, but it's the way she's been acting too. She's been walked through the same thing. And I said, how do you know all this? I thought she was talking about me. She was talking about herself. And she said, I'm talking about me. And I said, what, what is it? I said, I don't know if it's spiritual warfare. I said, I've, we've prayed. I, I, I've, I've prayed more in these four months than I've ever prayed in my life. I don't know what it is. She said, I know exactly what it is. It's this medication. So she pulls it up. She shows it to me. And she says, it's a four-month process to get off this medication. It's a weaning process. She said, I started it two weeks ago. So I did a little research and found out you can cut it cold turkey. They say it's going to be 10 days of horribleness, but I'm going to do this thing. So I spent 10 days, the worst 10 days of my life, coming off this. And when I came out of it, it was like a fog lifted. And it was like my wife and children had their husband back. And their father back. I spent the next three months literally beating myself up daily, sometimes hourly. It was all rooted in pride. Because I had convinced myself I was such a good person, there's no way I could ever treat anybody like I had treated them. And there was anger towards myself, anger towards my doctors for putting me on the medication. And it took me three months to come to a place And I'm going to tell you, that's why this book has meant so much to me. Because Brother Steve gave me a copy of this on a Thursday. Noah, he gave us this book, you remember? He gave it to us right after lunch. It was about 2 o'clock. And by 1 a.m. I had read the whole thing. I'm not bragging to you. I was desperate. I was desperate. Because I was in a prison that I had built myself. And the devil was literally having a heyday with me. It wasn't like a boxing match. It was like I was in an MMA ring every day. It was horrible. 
And it wasn't until I came to a place where I read this and it talked about pride that I realized how arrogant and prideful I am. And then I went, just went back to 1 John 1, nine. And I read it. And I'm going to put it back up on the screen if I can find it real quick. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it was like the Lord said, if I can forgive you for what you've done, who do you think you are? By the way, I'm a nobody. I love you, you're a nobody. He is a holy, righteous, perfect God. He's the one that created all things, who spoke the world into existence. You think about that. If you want to make something, you have to gather all the things that you need to make it. God just spoke it into existence with nothing, and it's all here. That God, see, sometimes we don't think about him that way. That God is the God that says, I don't care what you've done. Bring it to me. What did Jesus say? Cast all your cares upon me. Bring them all to me. I, Jesus wants them. Jesus loves when you come to him and you lay them at his feet. You want to know how I know? Because I have children. And I love it when one of my kids comes in and says, hey, Dad, will you help me with this? Hey, Dad, I'm struggling a little bit with this. Can we talk about this? Hey, Dad, will you pray with me about this? Oh, I so desire those moments. How much more do you think our Heavenly Father desires for you to climb up in his lap and cry out, Abba, Father, and say, hey, I'm struggling. I can't do this on my own. And that's where I found myself. I found myself in this place with all of this pride and I found myself at a place where I just, I, I couldn't do it. So I want us to discuss around the table a few minutes, and then we're going to come back and talk about how do we forgive ourselves, okay? So here's a question. Which one of these do you think is the most common one men deal with and why? Which one of these is the most common one men deal with and why? I'll put them back up on the screen. You have a few minutes. Take your time, and then we'll come back together. Let's come back together. <clears throat> Let's talk about, he, he says there's three steps. There's, there's uh, three steps to forgiving yourself. So if you've read the book, they, you, you kind of read them and you're like, is, is that it? Is that, is that all there is to it? But I think there's a little bit more to it than just that. You actually have to do these steps. You can't just think them. You can't just say them. You actually have to walk through these things. So the first one is understanding guilt. He's got a whole lot in this. There's a, there's a few paragraphs on understanding guilt. Um, he says, the ability to forgive ourselves comes partly from understanding guilt. Guilt is, at heart, a feeling that one is to pl- blame. For example, when you blame others, you have kept a record of their wrongs. But when you blame yourself, you have kept a record of your own wrongs. The Holy Spirit shows us our sin the initial work of the Holy Spirit, according to John 16, 8, is that he convicts us of sin. And so he says, you've got to understand your guilt. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. Aren't you thankful that there can be joy in the morning? I think about the Israelites in the, in the wilderness. I mean, they're traveling around, they're hungry, and, and he provides manna each morning. 
And they don't have to gather and get, a, get enough for today and tomorrow and the next day because he's going to provide it fresh every day. You see, that's a picture for you and I that we have to wake up every day. What did, what did Jesus say? Take up your cross daily. It's something that we do every day. Die to yourself. That's right. It's something we have to do every single day. There's a piece of forgiveness. You've got to wake up and make a choice. It's kind of like being married. I mean, you, you, love is a choice. It's an action, but it's also a choice. You have to choose that I'm going to love. You have to choose that I'm going to forgive. His mercies and his joy are new every morning. Here's what he says on page 160. God only uses guilt to get our attention. Okay? Just for a moment. What did, what did that verse say? It says, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. So, so Dr. Kendall says, God only uses guilt to get our attention. He convicts us of sin to get our attention, but having done that, he wants us to move forward. He doesn't want us to stay in this constant state of conviction and guilt. He's using that to get our attention that says, hey, you messed up. What do we do? We confess that and we move on. The issue is that sometimes we have a hard time doing that. We don't want to confess it, or we do confess it. The Lord forgives us, but then we're unwilling to forgive ourselves. And so what he says you have to do is understand guilt. Guilt is a piece that the devil uses to keep us in that bondage. He wants to wake you up every day as well, and he wants to remind you. He wants to remind me of what I said to my wife or how I acted or how I lashed out to my kids. He wants to remind me of that. That's why Brother Steve, um, I think it was two semesters ago in our, our Thursday morning breakfast, took us through that book, Winning the War of Your Mind. You've got to take that thought captive. What does Brother Steve say? You've got to take it and say, that's not of God. I reject that thought, right? I, I'm not going to allow that thought. But what happens is the devil reminds us of that, and we'll sit there and throw that, that pity party, and we'll wallow in that guilt. He said, you've got to understand, guilt can be a good thing. Holy Spirit says, that was wrong, okay, boom, I take that thought captive, and then I confess it to the Lord. The issue is some of us like to stay there. Well, we don't like it, but we do anyways. He says the second step, number one, understanding guilt, the second step is understanding grace. See, I think if we were to really wrap our minds around the grace of God, it would literally blow our minds. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you're saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, or we could brag about it. It's all about God. His grace is amazing. We don't deserve it. It's what he offers us. It's what he gives us. He says this on page 160, mercy is not getting what we deserve. Getting what we deserve is justice. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, which is total forgiveness. Listen to that. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. That's total forgiveness. Grace isn't grace if we have to be good enough for it to apply to us. That's what he said. <laughs> Aren't you thankful that you didn't have to clean your life up and then come to Jesus? Jesus reached down in the miry clay. He picked you up and set your feet on a solid rock. Well, guess what? Now that you're saved, it's the same concept. You've sinned. You've messed up against the holy God. You confess it, and he restores you. The Lord restored David. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Not my salvation. Nothing I can do. It's your salvation. He confessed it to the Lord, and the Lord restored that. He says on page 161, all accusations regarding confessed sin come from the devil. So think about that. If you have done something, 
You've confessed it to the Lord. The Lord's forgiven you. Maybe it's against your wife. You confess it to your wife. She's forgiven you. From now on, if you have any sense of guilt from that, that's from the devil. I love that. That's real simple. Because now when that thought enters my mind of why would you have said that, I said, "Uh uh-uh, not today. That's not from the Lord. That's not even from me. That's from the devil. And I'm not going to let you win. The issue is too many people are allowing the devil to win. But I've got good news for you. The book of Ephesians says we can stand firm against the wiles of the devil. Men, we got to wake up, put on our armor. I would encourage you to memorize the pieces of the armor of God. I started doing this when I was about nine years old. My dad challenged me to memorize those pieces. And every day when I was getting dressed, that I would say those things. So when I'm in there doing my hair, I say, Lord, today, putting on the helmet of salvation. I'm buttoning my shirt this morning. I said, today, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm tying my shoes. Today, I shod my feet with the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. I put on the belt of truth. Take up the shield of faith. I have the sword of the Spirit. I do that every morning. It's two reminders. One, it's a reminder to me that it's not about me, it's about the Lord. And one, it says to the Lord, I'm here, buddy. I'm ready. It also reminds the devil, I'm ready. Now, by the way, that just happened in the morning. Sometimes I have to keep on doing it all throughout the day because the devil just keeps coming at us. But he says, all accusations regarding confessed sin come from the devil. Take hold of that. You see, that verse that we talked about in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you are saved. I love that. Grace is a beautiful picture of God giving us what we don't deserve. But here's the reality. Grace does not leave us in that place. Grace changes us. Grace teaches us. Grace trains us. As a matter of fact, Titus 2, 11, and 12 talks about that same grace that saved us. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts so that we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's a lot, but what does it say? The grace that saved you is going to teach you how to live in this world. How do we live in this world? It's a tough world. James chapter 1 verse 27 tells us what what pure religion looks like. It says pure and undefiled religion looks like this. Those who look after orphans and widows and their distress and keep themselves unstained from the world. You want to know what a godly person looks like? It's somebody that takes care of the widows, takes care of the orphans, and doesn't look and smell like the world. When you're around them, you think more highly of Jesus than you do anything else. And so that grace is amazing. Right back to John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. We don't deserve this. But he promises us, if we do this, he will do that. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins. If we confess, he will. I love that. It's a promise from the Lord, that grace. So, we understand guilt and understand grace. The third step is this. This is the most simplistic piece of the whole thing, but it is probably the hardest. Let the past be the past. It does not matter how many times I want to change last January, February, and March, I cannot do it. I can't worry about it because it doesn't change anything. I can't think about it, it's not going to change anything. All I can do is say, I'm never going to go back there again. Brother Steve says, don't live in the past. 
Learn from it. So I'm not going to sit there and live in that. I'm not going to wallow in it. I'm not going to continue to feel the guilt over that. I've confessed it to the Lord. I've confessed it to my wife. I've been forgiven. And by the way, let me just say this. When you've been forgiven by the Lord, you've been forgiven. It's over. And you've got to forgive yourself. This is sometimes a daily decision. It's sometimes a moment-to-moment decision, but it's a choice. It's a choice to say, I cannot fix the past, but I can do something about the future. One of the most influential men I've ever been around in my life, Rose Rogers, where are you? Todd Eaton. Todd Eaton. Randy, you know Todd. You knew Todd. He was a referee. He was a member here for years. He refereed, Jeremy, how many, I mean, thousands of games here at Bellevue. One of the most unbelievable men, hilarious, quick-witted. His, his father was the voice of the Tigers, Jack Eaton, for years and years. Todd was unbelievable. And my office used to be this office right here, right through that window. And Todd would come up there about every other week, and we'd just talk Bible. I mean, he would come in and say, this is what I'm studying, this is what I'm reading, this is what I'm working through, this is what I'm praying through. And uh, he refereed basketball one night, went home, told his wife, I don't feel very good. She went to bed. He laid down his recliner and he died right there, had a heart attack. And when I got to speak at his funeral, I got to share the passage of scripture that he had shared with me five days before he died. <laughs> he just loved the Lord. He handed out more gospel tracts, shared the gospel with more people than most people will ever even dream about. But I was playing a game back here in Jim C one time. I used to play a lot of basketball. I was playing a game back here. There was a guy on the other team and he was really obnoxious. I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. I was very annoyed by him, Okay. And I, I just, I told Todd at halftime, I said, I don't like him. And Todd said, do you know him? I said, never met him in my life. I don't like him. And Todd said these words. He, he had all these one-liners. He read all the time. He said, Derek, let me tell you what a great man once told me. Never mistake the moment for the man. Never mistake the moment for the man. You see, what I had done is I had judged everything about this man's life by 20 minutes of basketball. Don't know him, never heard him talk, I didn't like him. Now, maybe he wasn't being nice, maybe he wasn't being kind, maybe he was being ugly, I don't know. But I had taken everything that I knew to be true about this guy and pinned it all on what I knew right there. So the second half, I decided I would try to talk to him on the court. We began talking, we became friends. Next season, we're on the same team, one of the best guys I've ever met in my whole life. Todd taught me a very valuable lesson. There are times in each and every one of our lives, we're going to have a weak moment. There are times we're even going to sin. That does not define us. Our identity is not in that decision. David's identity was not that he had an affair with Bathsheba. It was not in the fact that he had had her husband killed. It was in the fact that he was a man after God's own heart. That he loved God, and God loved him. There's all kinds of promises you can see through his lineage. Because when you read the genealogy of Jesus, you see King David in there. Isn't it amazing how God could use a guy like that? And I think if he could use a guy like that, he could use a guy like us. But we cannot live in a place where we build this prison of guilt and shame and bitterness and anger and keep ourselves there and not forgive ourselves. So we can't live in the past. 
We can't live in the past. When I got done at the end of those three months, well, let me back up. Right when I came off that medicine, after those 10 days, and I, I just kind of snapped out of it one day. I was literally like, it was like I was in my right mind. And I took my wife to lunch, and we were talking, and I said, baby, is there any way that you'll be able to forgive me? She said, you've already been forgiven. She said, now, it's still going to take me a little while to work through it, because there were some things that I just hurt. But she said, you're forgiven. And she said, you know the Lord's forgiven you because you've confessed. She said, now you've got to forgive yourself. Well, that was a process, right? So after about three months, I can remember I was back here. I'm so directionally challenged. Are the lakes this way? The lakes back here? Okay, lakes back. I can't stand them off, stay where the worship center is, okay? I'm so directionally challenged. Wherever the big lake is in the back of the church, okay? I was back there by that. I was praying about three months after that. I was reading and just praying, and, and it was just like the Lord just released me. He just released me and said, you know what, Derek? If you're unwilling to forgive yourself, I can't use you right now. And it was at that moment that I just said, okay, Lord. I just said, I don't have anything else. If you've forgiven me, my wife's forgiven me, I'm going to forgive myself. I can't explain it to you or describe it to you, really, because have you ever had a moment with the Lord where you're not going to be able to explain it to anybody else? Have you ever read a Bible verse and you were so excited to tell somebody else what God had shown you and then you go to your buddy or your wife or somebody and you try to tell them what God shared with you and it doesn't seem like it's a big deal to them? And you're like, am I missing something here? Like my mind was just blown what God just did in my, my, my life and it's like it didn't even affect you. It's because you had a moment with the Lord. Don't you love that? We don't have to have the priest. We don't have to meet with Brother Steve. We don't have to go to one of our life group leaders. We don't have to get with a deacon. And, and talk, we can talk to the Lord. And right back there by that lake, looking at that little fountain out there in the lake, as I prayed and I felt like I just forgave myself and, and, and I felt like the Lord just really, it wasn't a feeling like a physical feeling, I just felt this release. I cried, I'll be honest with you. I cried. And I thought to myself, wow. We serve a God who would forgive us and then he would allow us to forgive ourselves. Guys, in all the weeks we've met together, I think this is one of the most pivotal and key points of the whole thing. Because I think oftentimes we'll forgive other people quickly, but we hang on to stuff in our own lives. The devil is beating some people up in here, and I'm telling you, he's winning, and you've got to put your foot down today. The Lord wants so much more for you, He wants you to walk in freedom. He wants you to experience his love and his joy and his peace and his grace and his mercy, maybe in a way you've never experienced it before. He said in his book, I don't remember what page, probably around page 160, 158, 160, he said, forgiving yourself may be the breakthrough that some of you need. And I'll just tell you this, it was the breakthrough that I personally needed. I don't know what's been in your past, but I know you have one. Maybe you're clean. Maybe you've forgiven yourself completely. But I also know the devil beats us up, and it's typically not somebody, something we share with somebody else so nobody else knows about it. So I want you to do something right now. I want you just there by yourself. We'll play just a little bit of music. I just want you to close your eyes. Nothing weird's going to happen. I'm not going to come down there and ask you to do something. I'm not going to pass a mic around. But I just want you just right there to just get alone with the Lord.
I did this yesterday morning as I was finishing up preparation. And I just want you to search your heart. I just want you to ask the Lord, Lord, if there's anything in my life that I have been unwilling to forgive myself for, I want you to bring that to light right now. I want you to bring it to the forefront. I want to actually see it in my mind's eye. I want you to take just about 60 seconds. We'll play a little music. I want you to pray that, and then keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed for just a couple moments. Now I want you to I want you to think about this thing with guilt. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, am I, am I struggling with guilt in my life? Is the devil winning in my mind? Has there been something that I have been guilty over or felt shame for or been fearful of for years? And I've not been able to walk in the freedom that Christ gives us like I should. She just... I want you to just think about that word guilt for a moment. Now I want you to think about God's grace. I want you to think about his mercy and his love. I want you to think about his grace that he offers to everybody. Not what we deserve, but his gift to us. And that here's the deal, his grace is bigger than whatever sin you've committed. I want you to think about that word grace for just a moment. Now, if you identified something in your life that you've been unwilling to forgive yourself, you've just not been able to. It's like you haven't been able to release that thing. You've not been able to forgive yourself for whatever reason. You've thought about the guilt, but you've thought about God's grace. Now I want you to literally say from your heart to God's heart, I don't want this anymore. I receive your forgiveness. I forgive myself. And I choose today to let the past be the past and move forward in victory. Now what I want you to do is I just want you to find a guy right there beside you. Maybe it's just somebody that prays over the whole table. I just want you to pray for each other. And pray that when the devil comes to remind you what you've done in your past and try to tear you down and pull you down and keep you in that stuff, that you will be reminded he is faithful and just and he has forgiven my sin. And you will remind the devil, not today, not today, not today. Pray with some guys at your table. You've got some time. When you're done praying, you're dismissed. No class next week. We're off for spring break and we'll be back the next. Pray at your tables there with some guys. Take all the time you need.